prices had been climbing for the last 75 years and that it was a sure, sure uh, thing to invest into real estate because prices were going up. There wasn't enough building construction for uh, demand for new homes. So they weren't keeping pace to what the uh, market was requiring. And so the housing prices were going to increase. Well, um, it looked like from just looking at the trend line that that was going to be a true statement. However, um, I didn't uh, I didn't dispute the argument of the trend line, but I was not aware of the political impact that the subprime had created on the mortgages, the mortgage-backed securities. And so you had these bonds that were rated at 4A that had subprime loans in them, and when the the market realized that that was the case. They were waiting for uh, Moody's bond rating to be adjusted downward, and so they started calling it toxic And because they didn't know how this mixture was uh, going to impact the bonds, and so they became very pessimistic. Fear ruled the system, and at that point there was a large sell-off. Um, now, as the housing prices dropped, it was interesting because I thought that the housing would price would drop about 50%. It dropped about 30%. Um, and then quantitative easing, the Fed stepped in and started buying bonds and lots of them through... Um, order of the treasury and as they did started buying bonds the rates dropped and I thought to myself uh, talked to a colleague and said you know what would really be good is if the rates dropped down to two percent because you could basically finance your home for roughly half of the price that you were currently and that would be better um, overall but in the error in my fellows in thinking was that it would not affect inflation. So even though you're you could experience extremely low interest rates um, and get into expensive homes at less of a monthly payment, it would eventually lead to inflation, and then that would create a real estate boom and for a little while unless the fed could continue to buy those bonds the interest rates would uh, rise and so there there would be have to be some political processes put in place to allow for foreign investment into the real estate or u.s real estate market which is what occurred there's been a huge influx of, of foreign investors buying uh U- U.S. assets, including stocks and uh, businesses. And so, as I stated in one of the podcasts in the pre- previously, about $8 trillion has flowed in um, 
to the stock market, into the real estate market, into uh, commodities market from foreign investment. And so that's been driving the U.S. stock market past the 34,000 mark and also uh, creating a huge real estate bubble and um, the futures market has also been affected too. So now as you see some of the correction occurring, the question is, is whether that foreign investment will stay positioned or if it will begin to withdraw and profit take. Um, so there's a lot of fear in the market right now. If you think a given stock is heading for a fall, you enter in a sell order with your broker. Later when the stock has dropped, you can buy it back and pocket the difference. This is known as a short sell. This is the way hedge funds and investors play overvalued markets. It's dangerous. Shorts are vulnerable by buying panic called short squeeze, where a large number of short sellers try to cover at the same time, forcing the price up, uh, taking away profits. In 2008, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac had $2 trillion in liabilities atop less than uh, $1 trillion in mortgages. It doesn't say what those liabilities were, but it's interesting. It had $2 trillion in liabilities, $1 trillion in mortgages. Loan, defa- loan defaults could quickly turn Fannie and Freddie's speculative growth and call for government bailout. Short sellers would quickly take 50 to 75% profit. That's why I, did, I really dislike the derivatives is they uh, quickly identify inefficiencies and they, they go and profit take off those inefficiencies. Okay, so let's explain. Let me explain the derivative business. The derivative business is easy to enter in and almost impossible to exit. <clears throat> a derivative is a contract. <coughs> a derivative is a contract that derives its value from something else. The function of a derivative is to divide the risk associated with the underlying asset into pieces, allowing them to be sold to different people. Stock options are an example of a derivative. Stock options are purchase contracts to buy or sell a given stock at a certain price. So again, you think, well, that's a that's a good thing, right? Because now, I, if if I if the stock goes up and I have it agreed upon to buy it at one hundred dollars and it goes to two hundred dollars, then I make I can make two hundred dollars in profit by using that future contract called the option. Likewise, if it stock is goes to fifty dollars, and I have the option to um, sell it at a hundred, then I can make fifty dollars. Um, but the the problem with the stock option, as in all forms of gambling, is you don't know which direction it will move, and so it could just do the opposite of the the profit zone where you could have a loss zone and you buy, you have the uh, option to 
um, you do not, let's say you don't have a sell option and the price goes to $100 and you bought it originally at $50, then you've lost um, $50 because you don't have an option to sell at $100. So options can go, um, can work against you too. Where options originally started or futures started was in the farming business. And they were the first to uh, begin using future contracts with commodities. Now, future contracts work the same for commodities like wheat or silver. The farmer eliminates risk caused by low prices in the future and give up windfalls if the prices soar. And I did see that happen with some of the farm prices because um, in 2009, we saw rising costs uh, began to occur because of fuel prices were going up. And the farmers had already locked into five-year contracts to sell at a certain price. So they couldn't uh, pass on the cost to the market. So that meant that they had lower profit margins or they were taking losses. Both parties make an acceptable profit while eliminating threats to their survival. Um, well, that that was the original justification, but that wasn't the reality of what happened. The reality of what happened was is that the future contracts um, ca- caused losses because they couldn't pass on cost. The new derivatives are interest rate swaps, currency swaps, total return swaps, credit default swaps. I've covered credit default swaps. The interest rate swaps occur um, like a derivative. These are derivatives where if interest rates uh, go above a certain percentage, then payouts occur. And the payouts occur in the term of um, insurance payouts. And the idea behind the interest rate swap is to keep the interest rate operational within a certain band. Currency swaps are where you trade one currency for another. Like, for example, the U.S. traded, U.S. in 2009 it traded about $600 billion in dollars for euros, providing um, dollars to be lent on the on the European market to free up the credit problems that they were having on their markets. But with every swap, there's a certain duration of time, and then those currencies will have to be bought back. So now the, uh, the euros will have to be, ex- um, dollars will have to be exchanged for euros. And in that sense, it will drive up uh, the um, cost the cost for purchasing that local currency. So in one case they get they're getting dollars, and then they're going to reverse those dollars back out, and they'll be restoring back to their original currency. Uh, and so in that process of the swap, there there is going to be a difference in those valuations 
at the time that they did those swaps. So if, let's say, the dollar is stronger when they occurred those swaps, then there's a lot of valuation in that exchange because now they've got valuable U.S. dollars. Now when they have to reverse that swap, let's say the dollar is weaker at that point, then uh, their currency will... Um, It'll cost, it'll cost uh, more to acquire it and less to sell it. Okay, hedge funds might put up $100,000 to borrow a million dollars. So this is, this is called uh, leveraging. Uh, then buying derivatives, 10, 10 to 1 ratio. Bear Stearns ratio was... One to 165, 165 times. Suppose the derivative is a future on gold. The hedge fund would control $10 million in gold. That's the 10 to 1 ratio. So they invest $1 million, they, they would control $10 million in gold. If the commodity raised by 10%, the hedge fund would profit a $1 million. If the price fell by 10%, the hedge fund would be wiped out a $1 million. Long-term capital management had $3 billion in equity, $140 billion in debt, and $1.25 trillion in derivatives exposure. It's one of the things that's the leveraging it makes it a cancer, a financial cancer. <clears throat> you can see that while they're, and, and you can see why this is a form of gambling, uh, as actually the ultimate form of gambling because no casino would ever pay out $1.25 trillion. But the financial ins institutions can leverage extremely high ratios uh, against their assets like Bear Stearns. How was Bear Stearns able to achieve a 1 to 165 uh, ratio? Okay, let's move on. If Citigroup had $1 trillion in derivative exposure, when people on the other side of the deal, the counterparties, are dependent on Citigroup's ability to make good its obligation. Okay, how does it make good its obligation? Through insurance. So it buys CDS, Consolidated, consolidated debt securities in a system where insurer and insurers, uh, the insurers and insured may be one in the same. So they're the same people. So how can they, in, uh, they're going to receive from insurance and they're also going to provide the insurance. So it was... It was a pretty strange act, if you ask me. And it's amazing that the whole system didn't collapse in 2009, but it didn't collapse because of the bailouts. But the bailouts allowed... It would have been better if it had collapsed because then the bad debts would have been shed and bad investments would have been liquidated and then the system would have begun healing. And then that was and that would be called the repentance process. Why carry all this debt? Why carry all this sin? Uh, and it 
continually decay and destroy the system, why not uh, start with a clean slate and move forward? And eventually there'll be a reckoning and uh, the system will reboot. Okay, the idea was to attract new cash while banks can be used to make more loans. This would free banks from dependence on local depositors, smooth out credit cycles, and make mortgages more affordable and accessible. <coughs> GSE gave birth the Federal National Mortgage Association, Fannie Mae, Federal Mortgage Loan Corporation, Freddie Mac, were enabled to buy loans originated by banks, bundle them together in bonds, and sell them. Loans were converted into securities. Yeah, if you, the loan business is highly connected to the government. So when, if the government were during shutdown, why would it affect commercial loans? Well, there's a lot of paperwork that has to occur. Paperwork that's done in the local bank. Paperwork that has to be submitted to government agencies that are tracking what the banks are doing and so the uh and there's also national banks where paperwork is moving so the paperwork is moving through the system much more less transparent than what we can see but we can see the effect of the political process on the banking process when they ever their government shuts down for a certain duration of time, it will impact um, commercial loans. Doug Nolan said, Fannie can give a money market fund an IOU commercial paper, take that money, use it to buy mortgages. Whoever sold the mortgage deposit then proceeds into the money market fund um, the money, the proceeds into the money market fund, and because there's no reserve requirement, Fannie can go to the fund, give them another IOU, and spend it again. The only limitation is the ability of banks and other originators to find people willing and able to buy and or finance a home. Between 1995 and 2001, $5 trillion in mortgage loans were sold. Fannie Mae accounted for 35% of all money that flowed into the home mortgages. Nolan says, we now have a real estate economy. Fannie Mae has derivative obligations totaling $533 billion, primarily for interest rate swaps, and Fannie has liabilities in excess of $2 trillion. So the interest rate swaps were how they were able to keep the interest rates low enough so that they could finance the real estate borrowing. It's like a, um, a demon of their creation. They created this concept of derivatives to reduce down risk, but at the same time, because of over-speculation and this uh, desire or greed to become extremely wealthy 
with very little asset, not to, um, that they took exponential risk and as a a result, uh, we had a crisis in 2009. Okay, Um, between 1990 and 2001, the total national debt totaled, uh, national debt equaled the debt of the government, plus business, plus household, reaching 32 trillion. See, I think that that will be the number, my, my assumption is about 35 trillion will be the number that the federal government can maximally reach before things start to uh, become a real crisis. Assuming a 10 to $13 trillion U.S. GDP, overseas trade deficits accumulate at $435 billion in 2002 in the trade deficits. It's probably closer to six hundred billion today. It's just has to begin to reverse. Trump was starting to reverse the trade deficits with our trade partners. Um, he was through use of tariffs. He was starting to build good uh, respect between U.S. and China, U.S. and Japan. Uh, U.S. and Japan relationships were better, but China was was. Uh, uh, those tariffs were necessary, and they also raised tariffs on U.S. imports to China, but that market was far smaller than the market they have coming into the U.S. The dollar value dropping against gold, euro, and the yen, imports were becoming more expensive. As interest rates dropped between 2000 and 2002, foreign direct investment declined from $250 billion to $50 billion. See, again, this is the concern as you look at how much money is coming in from foreign investment, like $8 trillion. If that was to drop by five-fold, um, you could see a large you know, withdrawal of money. What determines a currency value? The profit a foreign investor expects to make when they buy a stock, bond, factories, and buildings. <clears throat> That's what I'm talking about. They're looking for profit. Secondly, a country with low taxes, cheap, well-trained workers, clear laws make it easier to make money. When buying a bond denominated in yen or euros or dollars, you get the interest rate that prevails in that market. Bond interest rates determine the attractiveness of the bond for foreign investment. Despite risk and complexity, Shorting is the purest, most popular way to profit from a given stock overvaluation. If the housing bubble bursts, it will throw reversal to all forces that made Fannie and Freddie titans. Well, the housing bubble did burst, and Fannie and Freddie uh, had to have a bailout called the mortgage-backed securities. The Fed bought them up. And then, interesting enough, in a strange act, many of the same 
institutions that were debt heavy with those mortgage backed securities, once they Fed bottom up, uh, they bought him back from the Fed. <laughs> it was a crazy act. Um, and so then they got their books looked better. So it was a way to clear their books and then do adjustments and buy them back at at a adjusted uh, asset values. The obvious winner in a bull market is the investment industry composed of 70 firms with market value of $270 billion in 2003. Investment banks included Morgan Stanley, Bear Stearns, Merrill Lynch, Charles Schwab, Goldman Sachs, Goldman Sachs being the biggest. Investment banks survive when investors keep putting money into the game. Credit card companies are logically short candidates. Mortgage lenders have become... Uh, just as reckless, there is a threat of rising defaults with the newest customers, which only prevented from becoming a tidal wave by the availability of home equity loans and new credit cards. More stringent government regulation is limiting the use of late fees, high rates, other tricks from milking low-income customers. A slowdown in credit card debt will be followed by a collapse in the credit Mark companies market value. Big banks don't do well during early stages of recession. Even though the big banks have handed out most of the mortgages, they originated off to the packagers. They, they've kept enough mortgage debt on their books to cause them trouble when defaults begin to rise. Other lines, auto, business, and personal loans, and investment banking and security trading all depend on consumer willingness to borrow and or market appetite for more structured finance deals. G Capital has become one of the largest, world's largest banks. Hmm. See, I worked for them once. It was really interesting. It was a, I didn't realize that they had become so big so fast. <laughs>